0: All right, today I am joined by Jesse Manisto, and I am very grateful for your time today and to be able to have this conversation with you. Thanks for being here, Jesse. Thanks for having me, Leslie. Would you start out by giving an introduction for yourself for anybody who's not familiar with you and your work?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I wear a lot of hats. Probably the one that I should start with is that I founded a project called Third Factor Magazine. We're also a membership community and soon to be a podcast that's been a little bit delayed, but it's going to launch in August. So, uh, but Third Factor is a site dedicated for uh, to those who are. I'm I'm describing it as pursuing the life of the mind and seeking the higher path in life. We don't know what the higher path is, but we're seeking it. So that's what I do. I'm also the editor at genspect and I'm a trainee debate chair at braver angels. And so those are a bunch of things that I'm spending my time doing these days.
0: Well, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. And, um, we met through a mutual acquaintance, mutual friend, Neil Barnes, who's actually been on with me before. He was one of the first people that I had a recorded conversation with back in the fall winter of last year. And, um, and I'm I'm glad he introduced us. I'm glad we're getting to be able to connect. And yeah, one of the things that I really we've spent so much time during these conversations picking apart what's going on in the culture, what's what we're alarmed about, what's disturbing, what's cause for concern, and and laying it out and, and saying this really is happening <laughs> and and you know, having discussions around that. But something that I find really inspiring about what you're doing is that you're you're working and you're networking with lots of different people in ways to actually make positive change and to respond to the the cultural um I guess the dilemmas that are being presented by what's going on.
1: Yeah. Um, but I love that you mentioned that as the lead in. I love Neil's great. He's written for third factor. He's a really cool guy. He's a builder himself. So it's part of this really cool thing that is happening now. I see this sort of as a new stage that we're all in where we all are aware of the cultural problems that we're facing, but what next, you know, we're, we're all, are we all just going to reinvent the same wheels? Are we going to create competing organizations with the same purpose? We all want to unite, but we're, we're disparate. We're spread out. um, And it's all through the internet. So that's a new thing that we're learning as a culture, how to connect through that. But uh, on top of that, like I'm I'm a writer. I'm an editor. As I was saying, I'm self-employed. I was that before COVID, but then COVID brought in the work from home, which has st- stuck around. And that's made us increasingly feel isolated. We're just not able to talk to people. Of course, they're <laughs> Some of us have friends in person who have canceled us and told us how problematic we are. I did experience that. And so, yeah, I was in a space even before COVID, but it got really bad around that time because all our social infrastructure evaporated. And meanwhile, I have separate, unrelated to pandemic you know, ideological concerns, people mad at me because I started trying to talk about these things. I like talking things out, out loud. I'm just seeing what people think. And that, that kind of person I've learned is called an external processor, which also Mm -hmm. makes for good, you know, I think all of us podcast hosts are external processors. Mm -hmm. And we're also canaries in the coal mine. We get in trouble more easily because we voice our thoughts. So it was a need for me to find other people. It was absolutely a need. Um, and driven to do that. I made third factor. That's kind of why I made it into a community. Some people did ask me for that. I just, I was a writer. You know, I I do, I do okay on my own. I don't want to say that I don't, otherwise I wouldn't survive as a writer and editor doing self-employment, but eventually you're just talking to yourself and deluding yourself maybe, or not having other people to check you. Um, I love half-baked ideas. I'm going to probably refer to that in this conversation. I warn people like, this is a half-baked idea. Yes, help me bake it. But that's been we we've crossed a line. I think where enough of us who are like this are learning how to find each other and how to do it effectively and how to have complementary skills to sort those things out and to team up with the right people.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic what you're talking about creating a community and bringing people together and connecting and the external processing. I can really relate to that. I definitely that that's that's definitely me as well and. I think that's what people who are drawn into talk therapy type fields Mm -hmm. are drawn to those because they see the value in being able to bring things out and discuss them and understand them through dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into what you have been doing to connect people and to, to be connected and to build third factor and be involved in these other organizations. But I'm also curious about your background and how you got to where you are it, it, because it, you know you mentioned that you were, used to be on the left of, of things, and so how what was the process of realizing that there was something you were really concerned about for you, and and how did that happen? You mentioned COVID, and you mentioned some other ideological issues. Was there uh, something that happened that really shook you and made you look at things differently, or was it a slower process than that?
1: Yes, there was in fact something that happened. I was a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, which kind of surprises people sometimes now, because what does left and right even mean? And so I always have to specify when I tell this story that it meant something very different before 2016. The organization grew massively, massively, like it quintupled in size in a matter of weeks. And that was when Donald Trump was elected, of course. And before that, it was a bunch of aging 60s radicals who were had mellowed out, they had stuck around. They were the sort of people who would stay in an organization that was idealistic but ineffectual, frankly. But they were cool, I really liked them they talked about the sort of things I cared about as someone from Detroit. My hometown is Detroit. I lived there until I got a job with the federal government and I moved here in 2013. And that's when I was looking for, here's this theme again, we didn't plan this, but a place to belong, a place to talk about ideas. And I just heard this advertisement. I think I was, I was on meetup. I was looking around at meetup and I'd heard Bernie Sanders, you know, he wasn't a big name yet. This was 2013, but Mm -hmm. I'd heard of him and I Googled or Googled him or searched for him somehow. And that led me to the Democratic Socialists of America, which I kind of laughed at, right? Like, okay, cool. Well, they've got these talks on economic stuff, right? Remember the economics and Mm -hmm. the, the working class used to be a thing that the left cared about. And so I went to one of those talks and I just thought they were really cool, interesting people. Another thing you have to remember about them is that to be a socialist before Bernie Sanders in the United States, you always had to give other people the benefit of the doubt because you were asking for it by calling yourself this. Because Mm. the next question should be, what about the Soviet Union? What what do you think about that? Which of course is why they call themselves democratic socialists and why they're not communists. And there's all these intra-left divides, you know, are you the people's front of Judea or the Judean people's front? (laughs) Of course, that's a reference to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But These people were cool and they were interesting and they talked about things that I cared about, especially as a person who was, you know, just getting started in my career around 2008. It changed a lot when this newer cohort came in, again, rapidly. And they, you know, without meaning to knock anybody, obviously I don't agree with them and the way they approach, you know, the things like identity politics, wokeism, all of that stuff. But the thing that really got me was the shift from that sort of culture of idealists who were a little more chill and I, I, I if I said they were content with being ineffectual that was like how their opponents saw them right mm-hmm. I joined that right mm-hmm. so maybe I'm also content with being ineffectual or whatever uh I'm not really but I got belonging there and I got ideas there it shifted away from something like that and that all happened with a a, a scandal around a guy who ran for the National Political Committee in 2017. His name was Danny Fatante. He has since died, but at the time he was running for a a seat on the National Political Committee. He won that seat at the National Convention at which I was a voting delegate. Uh, I voted for him. I knew him. He seemed like a good working-class guy with a lot of experience. He had been a union organizer. Well, one of the unions that he had organized was a police union So of course that didn't fly with the new members. They just had a different set of priorities. It wasn't that they got upset. It was that that's when I learned what left Twitter was and it became a giant Twitter mob scene. And it was very painful to watch the sort of cancellation dynamics and bullying that were, that we now associate with this, this thing that we're fighting and we're trying to band together against. So It was a a combination of a move away from the working class left economics toward identity politics, but also even more than that, the seeing up front what this bullying could could look like and just saying, you know what, I think I'm done. I don't think this is the organization
0: that I joined. Certainly Mm -hmm. doesn't give me a sense of belonging anymore. Mm -hmm. It sounds like when you're saying that they were content to be ineffectual, you're describing people that were more interested in engaging in the philosophical dialogues around this their their political orientation or how they think society should be structured and then there was this rapid influx of people who were more activist minded reactionary and it just changed the entire landscape i think that's more
1: or less a fair way to put it i also like talking about these philosophical ideas of course you know marx would say the point is not just to understand the world it is to change it and there's some truth to that but let's look at the the shades of gray here and and what we're changing it for and how we're changing it you know ends and means are also a important thing to think about
0: Mm -hmm. and and so when you started seeing that happen on twitter and you started to be exposed to this cancel culture that was that really shook you it sounds like
1: that's right i remember just sitting there at my computer watching some of these things happening and feeling like getting choked up but mm. especially at myself, because it was afraid. I was afraid. And of mm. course you feel afraid. You. I wanted to defend him. I wanted to speak up for this man who I had voted for and I thought had a lot to offer. And it was scary because of just the vitriol and the, you know, you're a, you know, a traitor to the cause or whatever you think the wrong things. Well, I, I thought maybe maybe Danny could have been a, a you know a good link in the chain to try to reform the police department. He had contacts in the police front, but that of course made him, uh, you know, uh, untouchable from the the new 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 left. There's a lot of you know left is new re- repeatedly. So this mm-hmm. this young cohort. I, I want to have the conversation. I want to get into the nuance. I want to get into the the difficult stuff. And I want to think creatively about it. And of mm-hmm. course, I'm, you know, that's a flattering way to put what I see myself as. I'm sure they have a flattering way to describe themselves as well. But that's mm-hmm. from my perspective. That's well, I, oh, so I was saying um the I felt like, a you know, a coward for not speaking up for him. And I remember sitting there feeling choked up at my, you know, my computer in my apartment, watching this happening and thinking I've, I've got to say something. And I did, and maybe I didn't do it super skillfully. And a lot of people got mad at me. And, but the point is I said something and then it's like, Hey, don't come go after him, come after me. And so that happened. Uh, there was a little bit of a, uh, to do here in the local chapter. Mm. Um, you know, I was accused of being uncomradely. Oh, wow. It was, it was, it was intense. Uh, and again, like I said, I'm, I i do not know if I handled it perfectly. I was certainly, there was a lot of like my heart's pounding, right? Like just observing my, my nervous system and how I was reacting to this sort of thing. But that was, that was a tough time. And you know, I felt like I lost something when I lost that community. Mm-hmm. It changed. It was it. It was no longer there. Uh, From what I left wasn't wasn't the thing I had joined. But this this is not how healthy organizations should work. I know. Mm-hmm. I want to say because I'm not totally against. You know, my friends who are still in that organization who are still trying to make it better. There are people who are really trying within the left, and I want to speak mm-hmm. to them and acknowledge them. But for me, it was just like this isn't this isn't the right place for my energies going forward.
0: Well, it sounds like a really difficult social experience for you. I mean, we use the word trauma so often, but it sounds traumatic. And it's so you watched as somebody that you respected stepped on a political landmine and then... The grappling with whether or not to speak up, the experiencing watching him get mobbed like that and watching his reputation be slandered that way and his, you know, just that reputational damage that's done, it's very difficult to see that. And, and you're watching that and wondering if you should say something or do something, feeling like a coward. And then when you finally step out and do say something, sure enough, the mob comes after you and you lose all these contacts. Not just, it's not just happening to you online, but it also happened to you within your your personal community, the people that you knew in in your life,
1: that's right, and of the people who are already my friends, they stayed my friends, they had my back, but nobody it was, it was tough for them too. They were all navigating this, this change and trying to figure out the right strategic way forward. And so it wasn't so much that I lost my friends, but I lost the space where we met because the dynamics had shifted so much. And mm-hmm. it, you know, there's only so much you can do sending people messages behind the scenes saying, Hey, I really, you know, I'm grateful that you said that, but I'm not going to say anything. Cause whoa. Yeah. And so that's just, yeah.
0: It sounds like you're describing kind of a worst case scenario that people worry about when they when they are sitting on the fence in terms of do I speak up or do I not? Do I challenge stuff that's happening at my kids' school? I'm looking around, all the other parents seem to be fine with this. Do I say something and risk being the one who, you know, everybody's everybody thinks is is an outsider and I get mm-hmm. rejected from this group and I'm no longer welcome. Um, And it happens. It's happening in so many different areas of life right now. People's friendship circles, work, university, kids school. So that that experience that you went through is something a lot of people can relate to either they've been through it or they're afraid of it happening to them.
1: Yeah, unfortunately true. And I at third factor I talk a lot about courage and speaking up. You know, um, parhasia is the the Greek word from from Plato's dialogues where he talks about Socrates promotes uh eunoia episteme and parhasia, which is goodwill, knowledge, and fearless speech. And so that became, you know, I learned that at the time. Uh someone I knew, actually my husband, who is an amateur classicist, told me about that and that just reading these. Texts got me through, right? This is this is an age old problem. Okay, well uh, they killed Socrates, so I don't know how much courage that that gives you. But it, I gotta say, uh, you didn't quite ask this question, but you hinted at this question, and I've been asked it before. And that is, you know, would you do it again? Was it worth it? And I would say that it was, but it was it, it does come at a cost. Obviously, I don't have DSA as a place, you know, a place to find friends anymore and belonging, let alone to have activist energy and purpose in the world. But it it was painful. I had visual migraines three times in 2020. I've never had them before since Uh, COVID was probably enough for that. But uh, I I think a lot of it was actually this stuff. This had me more stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes at a cost, but am I glad I did it? Would I do it again? The answer is yes, because I'm now in a better place. I have that well of courage that I actively cultivated through uh, you know, the hard way. But you once you do that, you've 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 got it. Not saying it can't be depleted pretty easily. You know, I'm not I'm not totally courageous, but it's become an important value to me because it did get me where I, where I wanted to be eventually. Um, I, I couldn't, when I, when I decided to speak up for Danny, it was because I sat there thinking, well, the choices are self-loathing as Mm -hmm. a coward Mm -hmm. or rejection and and struggle sessions. Like, well, the struggle sessions were painful. Uh, like I said, my heart was really pounding in some of these in-person things, but it, I'm okay. Now it worked out. Okay. I got through it.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's it's a choice between external struggle and internal struggle in some to some degree. I mean, maybe that's oversimplifying it, but that's definitely a a portion of what one goes through in this kind of experience. And I I think that internal struggle is a special kind of hell. I would say that it is. Uh,
1: that's what positive disintegration is. This uh, theory that I base third factor on, and that's what drew me to the theory. It's this this internal struggle. Uh, with your demons, with your overreactive nervous system that's holding you back, with your inability or reluctance to actually live up to the ideals that you hold. I, The people I'm connecting with now are people who are all trying. We We're not perfect at it. We repeatedly fail at it, but at least this is the kind of culture that this network that that we discussed, that we're forming, it's been wonderful. This is what I gained, was finding those people who would have these kind of conversations, would, even if I didn't share their values, I could admire that they were pursuing them. That's really important. And I think you can't really get how important that is until you live it. Because for this democracy to work, I think we're we we kind of have to have that um we're not gonna agree on everything the the ability to agree to disagree and remain in contact in some form it it i i do think it's foundational some of the people who have disagreed with me since i, I mentioned I'm with genspect i'm you know I'm an evil turf i'm not i mean what does that word even mean i I have wrong think views on this, as I'm sure many of your listeners probably do too. I don't mind if people disagree with me. I mean, I do strongly disagree on policy. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the seriousness of these questions, but I am very grateful to the friends that I have who are still my friends, even though they think that I'm wrong about this Mm. and I have some, and that's also something that I have gained through speaking out. I, uh, those people also quietly, quietly in the background said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about this. I really want to know why you think this. And eventually we agreed to disagree, but they still come over to my house for barbecues, you know, and that also makes me feel really grounded. I know that's not going to help people who have more personal losses in this space. I don't, I don't mean to imply that it will, but mm-hmm. for those of us who who can have that, um, that I really value. I really value the
0: friends who will agree to disagree with me. Isn't it interesting that we've entered a time when all of our thoughts and opinions about things are laid out for agreement and disagreement? I mean, it's it's such a difference from a, the, I, even when I was a kid, we were told that there are untouchable topics that you don't bring mm-hmm. up in polite conversation. There's polite conversation is the thing that you have with most people. And then intimate conversation happens with just a few trusted people that you really share a lot of your deeper philosophical um uh, stances and opinions on things with you know so yeah this this whole idea that we it's bizarre to think that you would find a group of people that agree with you on every single thing once every single thing is up for discussion and i i really like what you said there about being able to uh, you know get along with people whether or not you agree with them on all topics because first of all if you only choose your friends based on perfect agreement, you're going to have a very specific little bubble. And uh, uh, and I think that it's really important to value connection to people that you care about over perfect alignment. I think that that's, that really is an, a way to enrich your relationships is to value that connection first and foremost over, over agreement.
1: Yeah, I think that in this digital age, we have more of a view into this than we ever did before. We Well, and and um, a tangent that I could follow and that we should come back to are who are even the type of people who are putting out their, their very extreme, and it's not just extreme, it's emotionally charged political views. So that's the thing that's important to look at, the people who are sort of shouting their politics as though a test for you Mm-hmm. Uh, to make sure, you know, related to their insecurities somehow. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing I see happening nowadays. But yeah, we, I, I know what you're talking about the idea of um, we used to not talk about, you know, religion and politics. And there was a very good reason for that. Mm-hmm. However, I always, you know, back then in my, you know, teens and, and early adulthood, that was still the norm, even though we had the internet and I could go off on the internet, which most people weren't on and and find interesting discussions there. So that met a certain need because I do have this sort of drive to philosophy is a word I'm using for it now, amateur philosophy, but just this intellectual drive. I want to engage with ideas. I really like that. It's just something I like that other people don't like, and I get why other people don't like it. But I'm trying to find friends who will talk to me about those things. That's important to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I find it's the case for a lot of us who are trying to be active in this space and who, yeah, we're we're, we're trying to be active because we also have a a sort of need to meet and we've always been there. We, these sort of catalysts for thought and uh, with maybe also some of the energy to to get involved in activism and activism is a dirty word sometimes to some people, but by pushing back against it we're also kind of activists so i don't that word could be uh it could be read a, a few different ways and i think That's it's good so to try to to do things to try to be active agents and participants in the world mm-hmm. but but other people just want to get along live their lives they don't want to be bothered and so navigating that takes some some social graces and some skills and people who mostly were able to avoid it before are getting drawn in by the especially by those who are so emotionally i'm going to say dysregulated and mm-hmm. and and now have an ability to shout this dysregulation through politics that's the way we do it now we we used to be able to do it through other i mean religion right everyone cites the the downfall of religion and politics is now the place we find meaning so how does People's pain and suffering uh, that they
0: can't contain get get channeled through that now that now that the internet's involved. Wow, you've said so many things that I'm really that I I want to dig into. I love that 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 thing you just said about shouting your dysregulation through politics because that <laughs> is uh, that's just that just really sums up I think a lot of what we're witnessing, and I think that's a really that's a clean way to put it. Um, I want to talk to you about positive disintegration, mm-hmm. and going back even further, something you said about parhesia. Parhe- am I saying that correctly? Parhesia. I, I think so. I'm okay. I'm no Greek scholar. So that's interesting because it's it's this the courage you're talking about, and mm-hmm. I you know there's so many value what if you if you observe people's behavior you kind of get a sense of what they're what they're placing forefront as a value but it might not be what they really value underneath they might you know you talked about that experience of feeling cowardly and and having to pull through that to come out and say something in defense of this person that was that you were watching be maligned what i witnessed after I started putting out these videos. I started to do this series initially, which were just videos explaining what was happening at my school and and talking plainly about my concerns around that. And I got so many comments saying that I was being courageous and I didn't necessarily feel super courageous, but what it reflected for me wasn't, Oh, this is about me. What it, what, what I saw in those comments was this is about what people value. This is about what people want to do themselves. They're there. And there were so many of them. I mean, just, you're so brave. You're so correct. And so what, what I saw was that's a value that people want to, experience and, and see exemplified in others. And if, and I think that that's really beautiful that people are, are wanting to push through the things that are difficult to do what they think is right. And so there must be a way to, to help and, and encourage that in other people, because that's what's so needed right now. We need the people who are sitting on the fence to come over to the side of doing what they think is right whatever that is in this case it's oftentimes standing up to the school board or telling your boss no you don't you won't put pronouns in your bio or whatever it whatever it might be in your in your little unique situation but um, so coming back to that idea of the parhesia so how how do how do you see that fitting in culturally in the wider discussion?
1: Yeah. I mean, just in general, how to get more people to embrace this. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've been thinking about so much and from my own experience and then from the people who have been joining third factor and watching these waves ripple out. Right. I, also struggled with this. So I get the struggle mm-hmm. and I think it's almost like, you know, someone's got to go first. For me, uh, an exemplar of this is Helen Joyce. She is remarkable. And she was just interviewed by Megan Kelly, I think yesterday. So she was trending and I saw the tweet saying how wonderful she is. She's brilliant, but she's also courageous. She was the keynote speaker at the GenSpec conference, which I did attend in Killarney in April. And I attended also a little, uh, chat that she did impromptu with people for, uh, who are interested in, in talking to the media. It was, it was really helpful that, well, let me just get right to the point of something she said, which was, she gets asked a lot this question too. Well, people aren't going to like me. How do I handle this? And she's just like, look, you, you, you just have to, that, that happens that's going to happen. You you can't, I think she may have said that in the keynote too, but I rem- I really remember her saying it to this small group. Like, what, what can we do? You mm-hmm. just have to do it. You just have to do it. But now that someone like me, who maybe now people are looking up to me, well, I'm looking up to Helen Joyce. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of a, you know, the, the ripple effect outward, you always are looking up to someone and that person shows you that she's okay. There are costs, but she's okay. Okay probably I'll be okay too. And then maybe someone looks up to me. So you just have to model this. Mm -hmm. I I encourage anyone who is watching this and thinking maybe it's your turn to step forward. Yeah. Raise your hand, do it. It's, it's going to be okay. Um, Maybe for some of you, you have more, more likely consequences. I get that, you know, everyone's experience is different, but could you maybe do it? Would you maybe feel better? And so Something else I will say that has helped me: not just having an exemplar, but also having the uh, the peer level community. And so, I had started this conversation with the uh, discussion of being isolated, right? Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. Being isolated made me feel nervous. You know, I was having nervous tension. I thought it was just being at the computer so much, but like tension in the shoulders uh, to the point that I went and got acupuncture because it was so bad and I'm really afraid of needles. So I was desperate and that would help a little bit, but then it would come back, right? Like, oh, I, you know, maybe I just, I got a standing desk. That was a big, big splurge and it all kind of helped. But you want to know when that muscle tension went away? It was when I found more groups to belong to where I could just relax and I knew they weren't going to kick me out and I knew it was okay to say what I thought that. And, and, and that again, even if they, people disagreed, they weren't going to go at me. They weren't going to say how bad I was. They were going to be curious. Finding a place where you belong gives you so much courage. And i found that now with, with a few groups, you know, I had to replace my social circle. That was DSA. And now I have, um, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm active in, in Genspect. That was great seeing people in person there who I just knew from the internet and, yeah. uh, and, and being in brave Rangels, which is a very different sort of group. It's a uh, political depolarization. And so to be in Braver Angels, you, you, by walking the door, you have agreed that you want to hear from people who have different opinions. I love their debates. If you have the opportunity to go to a Braver Angels debate, do it. They're wonderful. They're uplifting. People disagree. You might hear things that are uncomfortable, and then it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be okay. So finding places you can fit in and connect with people, ideally offline, but online too, as as we said, finding this network online can really help. I know that people at third factor are coming in and saying like, yeah, there's people here who I I finally was able to say something and just, you know, finding those people who will, will mirror back to you that you do belong, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever it is that you're not allowed to say in this or that group. And, 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 and I mentioned my muscle tension. Mm-hmm. It's gone now. It's mm-hmm. gone now since mm-hmm. I got involved in those things.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And, and it's a really, I think that's a powerful illustration of that experience that is, uh, going from, and it kind of comes back to that internal versus external struggle, because when you're doing it alone, you're doing it internally, you're also doing it alone. You're also, there's this isolation and to come out and actually have the, I guess, the just the courage, the 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 ability to speak your mind openly, fearlessly, say what you really think, say the things that... You, and you can be respectful and do this. It doesn't have to be confrontational necessarily or, or conflict-driven, but it might cause conflict. And to not be afraid of the fallout, not be afraid of not being liked, you oftentimes will find that you're now standing in a group of people who are also doing that, and you gain community through that. And That's right. those connections are so valuable. And, and it really does feel it really does change everything to feel connected.
1: Yeah. And I know you do that through solid ground too, right? So that that's what it's about finding other people who Mm -hmm. can hear what you have to say. It's great if you find people who agree, like for sure, that's, that's really desirable. But for me, it's really been the people who don't necessarily agree, but like me anyway,
0: (laughs) that, that's,
1: yeah, that's, that's the
0: thing. It's not necessarily about finding a new bubble. Yeah, and, that's and right. In fact, if you're doing that, you know, you're you're probably setting yourself just kicking the can down the road. You're just recreating the same pattern with a different mm-hmm. set of contents. But it's the same pattern.
1: Well, and because the, the the and this happens a lot online when you make connections with people who are ideological supporters on the Internet those are really fragile connections in my view, because Mm -hmm. all it's based on is agreement on an issue. So the minute you stop agreeing with them or show that you have some other issue that you disagree with them on, they're going to unfriend you. They're going to be mad at you because there's nothing else to that relationship except ideological bolstering uh, uh, opinion support. Mm -hmm. Whereas a relationship is something a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And that's why, uh, and I also think the, um, the idea of emotional regulation Mm-hmm. comes through when someone can agree to disagree with you. Like, okay, this is this is not something I have to tiptoe around this person. I, I don't have to walk on eggshells is a mm-hmm. phrase that you use. So it's not just that agreeing to disagree is nice for intellectual purposes, though it is, it's also a sign that the person is on a deeper level, a good contact.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because disagreement doesn't shatter the connection. That's right. And speaking of shattering and speaking of growth through connection, I'm I would love to hear more. And I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing more about positive disintegration. Would you that, want to talk about yeah. that a little bit? Oh, sure. I would love to talk That's about that. It's a great that. concept. It's post-traumatic it growth.
1: Yeah. But it's uh it was a little bit um, it's very beautiful when you first discover it. And then you realize, oh my God. <laughs> This, the people who want to talk about this, this is where that conflict is playing out. There are a lot of people there who have huge feelings and are struggling to regulate them. And they maybe they know they have to, but they don't know how to do it yet. And I got into positive disintegration. I knew about it before, but when I really decided to start Third Factor, it was seeing that this emotional intensity is an element that goes into causing a positive disintegration, uh, according to the theory. And I looked at DSA when I was in it and I looked at my friends, the people who liked me and I threw it out for conversation, right? I I knew this theory and don't you think it has something to say about the people who are in DSA and who become activists? And they all said, Oh my gosh, yes, this is so true. One of them actually knew about it. It's pretty niche and esoteric. So when, when someone already knows about it, that tells you something and they, yeah, they saw it there in these activists. Now, in the theory of positive disintegration, there is a, a hierarchy of levels of growth, and unilevel disintegration, level two, where you've you've broken down, things are not right. That's the most dangerous level because you don't know which is the higher path yet, mm. and so you're thrashing about. Dabrowski, the the, the man who conceived of this theory developed it when his dear friend took his own life. This was a musician in a conservatory and, you know, suicide that spurred Dabrowski to become a psychiatrist instead and develop this theory. So he says this, when you don't know what the higher path is, that's the most dangerous time.
0: So there's some kind of a catalyst that happens first or some, some experience that happens that causes someone to start questioning assumptions or, or foundations. Is that correct? That's the first step. It, it, yeah, it, it can be, or it okay. could
1: just be that you have the innate, you're on, your, your nervous system is on this, this was okay.
0: wired this way and you're going to question, you're, okay. you're going to do it. So, so somebody so, starts questioning and that's phase one or, or mm-hmm. the first level of
1: this le, okay. le, level one is you're integrated, you know, oh, okay. you're, integrated. you're fine. You haven't broken down yet. You're, uh, you're,
0: you are with your original set of, of worldviews and life assumptions. That's correct. Okay,
1: and then something happens, whether it's internal, or external, mm-hmm. and you have a breakdown, and you don't know which way is up, and okay. that's really dangerous. Okay, now where the theory really focuses is on what happens at what's called level three, spontaneous multi-level disintegration. So it's spontaneous, like something thrusts you in it. You, I get parents sometimes asking me, like, well, how do I make this happen? I'm like, I don't know. It's it's spontaneous. I I don't okay. I don't know what to tell you, but. Um, Suddenly, what what happens at this stage is you perceive that there is a higher path. Now, this is really dangerous to talk about because how many times do people perceive they're on a higher path and it's not a higher path at all, which is why I always say about third factor, we're for pursuing the higher path, for seeking it out, for talking it out, again, external processing, subjecting ourselves to criticism, people filling in what we're not seeing because it's very easy to say, like, I've perceived the higher path. I'm sure Mm -hmm. many of our opponents also feel very strongly that they have perceived a higher path. But for the purposes of this theory, all right, you have perceived there is an existence of a higher and lower. There's Mm -hmm. a better and worse in life. And you go about the process of trying to figure out what that higher path is. And that's what level three is. And as you progress into level four, which is called organized or directed multi-level disintegration, you've kind of figured out your values, you've you've put them in order, you've realized maybe, you know, to just to draw on something, we've been talking about it's more important to me to be courageous and to be able to live with myself than it is to have everyone like me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really common one in third factor, but there's plenty of other ways it could manifest. And that's basically the growth trajectory of this type of person. Mm-hmm. I think it's just it's as easy as as a as a very energetic intellectually, emotionally, creatively, you know, in the imagination, someone with a lot of energy. I don't mean like woo-woo energy. I mean nervous system activation energy mm-hmm. who is gonna go through some kind of growth because they're gonna have internal and external conflicts. And so positive disintegration is basically a a roadmap, a description of this growth of this type of very energetic, stimulable person mm. and, and, and all the difficulties that arise in, in the pursuit of that higher path and sorting out what it is. Mm.
0: And when you, when you describe level two as a really dangerous place, just kind of going back to it, it's, it sounds like and my, from my understanding, it's this, it's this place where there's a lot of uncertainty a lot Mm -hmm. of fear and anxiety because you're have you you're in a state of questioning things that were fundamental to you prior and so that can lead Mm -hmm. to like you said this the crisis can be so great that you in some cases people don't make it through that or they they really struggle and they really break down and then some people are able to move through that and reintegrate something, create something new for themselves out of that. That's right.
1: Dabrowski used the term ambivalences and ambitendencies to describe these forces inside a person who's at level 2. Like, which way is up? You know, A lot of looking outside to find the answers. Oh, maybe this person, I'm going to do what they say, or I'm going to actually this other group, I'm going to do what they say. I don't know which one is better. I'm just going to pick one. I'm going to do what I'm told. Uh, Yeah. The external forces can be very strong for a person who is thrashing
0: about in that state, according to the theory. Okay. I feel like I've seen that, right? Like they're really seeking, seeking some, some kind of reassurance or some direction at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeking reassurance and direction, I would say is a really
1: good way to describe that thrashing about desperately to find orientation in the world. Mm -hmm. Meaning and purpose taken away. That's, really a hard state for a human
0: being to exist in. And would you say that that's where you were when you were going through what you went through with DSA? It's all right.
1: So this is a good place to interject that these levels are, um, no one is purely at any of these levels. We look at it in the theory uh, as, you know, signs uh, behaviors that are more in line with this or that theory. And so no one is usually purely any of them, Mm -hmm. but with, So when that happened to me, I would say that I had a a pretty strong mix, Mm -hmm. which is again, really common, but I did definitely have a lot of these, um, Another thing that is a sign that you're at level two are just an abundance of somatic symptoms. You know, I talked about my tension tension in my neck Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, flushing or racing heart anxiety, this in energy, this thing I'm calling this energy, this super stimulability, overexcitability another word for it is just nervousness Mm -hmm. an overreactive nervous system. Right it's that simple Mm -hmm. so yes it it, i i don't want to say i was only you know purely defined by this framework i never tell anyone i never i always tell people don't think of yourself purely or any other people everyone wants to put their enemies especially in low levels and put themselves in high levels right right like but i did have an abundance of of the signs that the said you know what this is kind of level two stuff But I, I would say uh, I also had this strong sense that, like, no, nope, this is uh this is not okay. I, mm-hmm. I I know there's a higher path. So arguably, that was a significant level three indicator. And I I find this is not not uncommon. You know, most people I talk to have have some of the level two and some of the level three in them, and mm-hmm. it's just the decision to go for the higher and to question yourself. Uh, examine your own motives. Why am I choosing this? Is it really the higher path? That's the kind of stuff that interests me. You know, mm-hmm. I learned recently. This is called like moral philosophy. Who knew that was a thing? Oh, I never that's got interesting.
0: Never moral got philosophy. talked about that.
1: Yeah, huh. so I'm really into that these days, and we talk about that at Third Factor.
0: It sounds like a lot like the, the this theory is describing something that I have sort of thought about really on a s- simple level as growth pressure it's a sense of like this i'm i'm aware that something isn't working for me and it might be aspects of my lifestyle that are causing me tension maybe there's habits i want to stop or or new habits that i know i need to adopt it could be something that's just on the personal level like not necessarily about social activism or something larger mm-hmm. but that experience of the all those this the tension the anxiety the the stress around something um you know, in my mind, I, I always think of it as growth pressure, but this is a much, much more fleshed out and detailed way to think about this.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. And, you know, there there are a lot of people who just love this theory as though it's discussing something very special. Um, but what I love about it, the way I look at it is other people have talked about this with different language. Mm-hmm. It's which means it's a real thing that just this one guy observed and, and charted out this way. Yeah. And in a way that, again, for me, I, I'm like, oh, it's it's psychology. That's really interesting. Oh, wait, this is this is about philosophy. (laughs) This is about sorting out values. This is about that. And so that's why I said like, oh, I'm interested in philosophy now, but I didn't know it by that term because we don't use that, but about the values we should live in life. And I think, you know, if you talk about growth pressure, maybe would you say that is too just this drive to mature and become a better and better human being, but I found it through this, this theory. So that's that's some of the language I use. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's awesome, and and so you you have a lot of that third third factor that people can explore there if they want to go check that out. That, that's correct. That okay. is yep. We have a, a forum.
1: We are really into talking about both psychology and and philosophy, and we're we're sort of on a little bit of a summer break now. It's just a little bit um, whatever you want to bring, you can come in there, but we have some things we're going to try to roll out that are a little more constructive about Mm -hmm. discussing values and that path, uh, this fall, I've got a little team of grassroots level people on this, on this search for what the higher is. So that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I'll put links down underneath of this video. So if people want to follow that, they can check that out. And so you're involved with not only Third Factor, but also Genspect and with Braver Angels. And are you interested in saying a little bit more about either of those? Yeah.
1: um, Genspect is a healthy approach to sex and gender. They are having their conference in Denver, their second conference in November. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It will be great. The one in Killarney was absolutely great. Um, Just really good voices and, and a diversity of voices. They don't always agree. And they emphasize that as being important. So again, <laughs> kind of a meta-value for me, the openness to discussion. Uh I just the such good people there, such courageous people there who model these values. Um, and then Braver Angels. I also went to their convention. I was there a couple of weeks ago in in Gettysburg, not to you know, hammer the point home, but <laughs> there it was. And that was also wonderful and in a somewhat different but compatible way. Um, I did find a lot of people who are interested in these questions of value and philosophy. That's not the whole organization, but that's my little niche in it. I really enjoy that. And I found, you know, some people who gave me books, right? We, they, anyone who hands me a book and says, Hey, you should read this. I think you would like it. And it's from a perspective I've never heard of before. Like, I think I found my people.
0: Well, so. when I look over your shoulder, I have some evidence of, uh, of that. <laughs> we <laughs> have got quite a book collection. Oh, you know, this is not the half of it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, they're they're idea people. They are they the debates. What I'm learning to do is is to chair debates and to have these conversations, which I just think are they're not a need for everyone, but there needs to be a space for them in our political culture, and that is the space that has somehow been sucked up maybe because of the internet and again, the, the abundance of this dysregulation or, or whatever, we don't know how to interact yet, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm dedicated to doing whatever I can, finding the right people to pers uh, to protect it. And uh, braver angels, I found those people. So I really am enjoying that organization a lot.
0: Well, I, you know, I've heard from a few people about braver angels, but I don't really know what it is exactly. And you mentioned that they, they, ask you to choose red or blue, they assign you like red or blue. And <laughs> and that's interesting because I, I feel like, you know, th- it is so very polarized. I have sort of, you know, I've positioned myself, at least in these conversations as a centrist. I don't know really what that means or where I am. I know that I'm alienated from both of the polls that I'm seeing right now politically. I don't, I used to align with the the left. I do consider myself to be classically liberally oriented. I don't at all recognize anything that i agree with on the far left right now and i also don't agree i I haven't suddenly become a conservative just because i'm not agreeing with the left so i'm somewhere in the middle i i i don't know what that really means i don't know if i would choose a red or a blue if i were asked to and i'm most of the criticism that i receive from people who watch my videos and want to say something critical has to do with me either being too far left or too far right that most of it is either you're, you know, I'm I'm definitely the, the social justice folks don't like what I have to say. They think I'm a bigot. They think I'm not being kind enough or tolerant enough about things like them. that. I got a lot of flack under the pronoun video, the comments under that for people who didn't like my take. But then on the other end, I get a lot of people criticizing me for being too far left. So it's, it's just, it's very interesting how polarizing that is. And and I, I don't know if I would, how to choose, if you had to choose red or blue, how do you choose at this yeah, point?
1: That's, oh, I love that you asked that question because I just had an experience uh, with that. I will tell that story here. I was thinking of writing an essay somewhere about it. So uh, maybe I'll scoop myself, but whatever. I, I, it's, a, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good story. So Braver Angels is a depolarization organization. Um, like I said, I'm more interested in the debate. That's what my where my heart is. But but writ large, they are a depolarization organization. They come out of family therapy. Go to braverangels.org, look at them if 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 anyone's interested. But um, they are more blue than red, more and and they those are the words they use. They use the words blue and red rather than liberal or conservative, rather than Democrat or Republican. So given this imbalance in the sort of people who want to join. And why is that? I don't know. I don't even want to begin to say why that is. I, you should ask more solid red people um, if you want that. But um, yeah, for the convention, because of their mission, it was very important that they have an equal number of delegates who were red and blue. And then there were those of us who. I'm exactly like you, right? I have been a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. I still care about, you know, economic issues and the working class and rust belt cities and all these things. Those interest me. Um, but this the stuff that I want to debate in Braver Angels, my my views are now probably going to be more associated with the Reds, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So to become a delegate, it was very hard to get in as a blue. It was easier to get in as a red. They they because you had to have a, a pair. Become a delegate. Uh, And so I had a friend in Braver Angels who said, like, I know you want to go. You can, there was an option to go as an as a neutral, right? Some people had had yellow lanyards, but everyone else had to wear a red or a blue lanyard. And I said, Look, I I would like to be a yellow lanyard. And my friend, who is also a red, said, you know, consider whether you might be a red for the purposes of braver angels because all the things you want to talk about, you're going to represent reds. And I thought, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to misrepresent myself, mm-hmm. but then they said, well, but if you're a, if you're a red, then a blue can go. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. I guess I'll go ahead and like, I'll do this because it's a favor to someone else. So there I'm wearing a red lanyard mm-hmm. at the convention. And that was weird. That was weird for me Hmm. because they want to know my story. And I start talking about the democratic socialists of America. I'm like, oh, the red is for socialism. Uh (laughs) You're a Bernie Sanders Republican. (laughs) Don't call me a Republican. (laughs) Uh, But, but some of the people that I became friends with, I mean, a lot of the people I became friends with were were Reds who told me stories about being canceled for voting for Donald Trump. And like, I hate Donald Trump, but I don't hate Trump voters. I'm mm-hmm. interested in why they're Trump voters. And some of them had really important things to say that I cared about because, you know, they're working class issues. This is what I purportedly care about. So it was very hard for me to figure out how to represent myself and not misrepresent anyone. And I probably wouldn't have agreed to wear the red lanyard if I'd known that we were actually gonna have lanyards. But mm. I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But when I get there, they hand it to me, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and a woman who I did become friends with came up to me and said, I have heard that there, there are rhinos, There are they're getting people to be reds who aren't even reds. And I'm like, oh, if oh. I don't, is that? But, you know, and, and she, she kind of recoiled, but then this conversation that ensued was totally in line with the mission of Brave Angels. And I told her like, Hey, I got your back. You know, she had been at January 6th. Mm. She, you know, decried the violence, but she had just gone there and she's like, and people hate me for it. I'm like, oh, that's
0: mm. and now
1: I hear your story. Like, I'm I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that. And mm-hmm. so by wearing this red lanyard, I guess I helped further the mission of depolarization.
0: Wow, and... that's really interesting. So it's not like you took the necessarily took the place of somebody who would have been really espousing the red views. It's like you that's actually right. crossed over and got a a more intimate look at the at thinking and you got embraced by people who you might otherwise not have really connected with. That's absolutely right.
1: Um mm. now Brave Angels is good with um you know people you, you go into the college cafeteria. We were uh, we were we were the convention was held on the campus of Gettysburg College and so we're you're with a bunch of strangers. You're the only person you know at this convention maybe. You walk in, you sit down with people, just, hey, is this chair free? And you just start talking to them. And it was amazing how much the blue and red lanyards didn't actually tell you much about anybody. Mm-hmm. That goes for what, and, and there were also the yellow lanyards, the people who who really didn't identify and, and didn't care, you know, their blue come in, right? Like I wanted to be a yellow lanyard. And, the, and there were white lanyards for people who were not allowed to disclose because they were representing an organization that was supposed oh, to be Oh, I see. To. So there was mm-hmm. a good mix there. And that was, it was really fascinating. I I support how they did that Mm -hmm. with the caveat that I hope that they really will continue their outreach to reds like that. They are, I know they take that seriously. I know that's a big part of what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I hope they listen to the concerns of not, not those of us who are like red lanyards, you know, you know, superficially or tangentially, but Mm -hmm. I, I hope they really do because I was able to see by talking to them and hanging out with them. The ways they did kind of feel like, yeah, we're we're not always the people they default to. They don't always even know where we're coming from. They do care. Mm-hmm. They will listen. I I'm confident in that. But there just has to be conversations. And they have mm-hmm. a lot of reds in leadership, so there is that as well. That's that's mm-hmm. important. Uh, that's interesting. You know, why why would a red versus a blue be drawn to a depolarization organization?
0: Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. no, That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the people who are really dug in on either side, very, very, uh, I guess, what do you what do you want to call that? But just rigidly holding onto their ideological identity would not be drawn into something like that at all. So you're that's getting a, a selection of people who are more moderate. I, I would that, think
1: that's a really good Point that you're making, and in fact, when I say I'm for the debates mm-hmm. uh, or for the debates drawn to the debates, especially, what's interesting is there you do get the people who have stronger opinions, okay. uh. but they want the debate. They're yeah. agree to disagree people. I'm like, oh, these are my people. I want to be friends with these people <laughs> just socially, right? Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to meet that need so I don't have to annoy everyone else. Yeah, and that was wonderful, and that is a subset of Brave Angels where you do get strong left, strong right views and a mix of them, because what does he left and right even mean? Right. So there's there's a lot rolled up into each of those labels. But then you do also get um, in some of the other areas of focus, those will more be inclined people who are temperamentally moderate, not just Mm -hmm. alienated from the left and the right, but really moderate in temperament um, and they show up in different places in the organization. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I hope a lot of political scientists join this organization and, and learn from it, because I think there's something really cool going on there.
0: Yeah, it sounds unique. It sounds new and, and interesting. And I'm curious about it. So I, I'm definitely going to check it out. Does it Do they come to different areas and host events in different areas, or are there local chapters?
1: it's run by local chapters. So, you know, there's a map on their website. You can check out if there's a chapter near you. There are, there were people who were just, you know, free floating members who don't have chapters nearby and they can participate in debates online. I've never done that. I know if you go to the website, there will be things you can do to get involved with, even if you don't have people in person in your neighborhood.
0: Well, I'll, I'll look at that for sure. And I'll put the link down in the notes also. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can. I think your 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 listeners might might be especially interested. So yeah. I'd love to hear if if anyone does what what people think of it. I would yeah. really like to know, okay. you know, what do they see when they look at it? Awesome. Well, please please comment and and let us know. Mm-hmm. And so do you do you see the networking and the connecting and the the agreement to disagree and just the the dialogues that are forming, do you see that as the action that needs to be taken or is it in order to take some other action? What do you think?
1: That is a fascinating question. I, it is kind of a cop-out answer to say both. I think it is both, but I'll speak to both for, for some of us, it is just, belonging because our meta value is okay we live in a pluralistic society okay it's hard to figure out what's morally right or the right values for society i know some people don't find it difficult you know but these difficult questions we have to solve we need all voices there's there's value in that however um it's also possible to dither too much to get into analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. to um, not be confident enough. There's an idea. Um, I said, I was interested in philosophy and at third factor. We did the ethics of Aristotle. We got very into that. So now everything is a golden mean to me. This is a golden mean question where yes, it, it is possible to, um, to, to be too no, I'm, too, I'm sure I don't need to question myself, you know, too confident, um, overconfident. And then it's possible to dither too much. And so i think the answer to your question is sometimes we do need to make choices and that happens in an environment where asking questions is okay but eventually you do need to take action executive decision like okay we're going this way and i and then i will fight for what i have thought over and determined is the right path so Mm -hmm.
0: does that answer your question is that i think that's a good answer nope i think that's a great (laughs) answer and um so in closing, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about these things and give this information. I really think that this has been, an, uh, it's kind of a pivot to look at not what's going on, but what can be done and how to how to react to what's going on, how to respond, not just react to what's going on. And you've given a lot of great resources. Do you want to say the the links out loud for people who are listening? Oh, sure.
1: Um, so for third factor, we're at www.thirdfactor, T H I R D F A C T O R.org. And we have social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram at third factor mag. When our podcast goes live in August, you'll be able to find it there. We've got a mailing list. Um, Genspect is, I I didn't check these. I think they're both genspect.org and braverangels.org. It might be.com, but you'll, you'll find it. I'll put the links down there too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Check them both
0: out. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have said? Is there any final thoughts you have? I mean, I'm sure there's more, but I think this was, this was pretty good. I think we got the basics
1: covered and I just want to say, you know, as a last thought, I love what you're doing, Leslie, making that space available for people to connect. I really think that's what's going to drive this forward uh, and, and give us the power to take that executive action about the things we've thought about that we're like, no, nope, I'm going to stand for this. I'm going to die on this hill is maybe another word for that executive decision. And you're going to be able to do it once you've got someone's got your back. So thank you for being part of this great network of people who is actually trying to take action and and especially for being a connector.
0: Oh, thanks, Jesse. That's nice of you. And it's been a really interesting project. I never saw myself doing this, but it's been really fun and it, it feels really good. And I love solid ground. We love what we're doing there. So thank you for connecting with me. And I hope we can talk again. I hope we can. Thanks for the time, Leslie. All right. Take care. Bye.